Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi guys, welcome back to Web3, the new era. Although we do not have a typical interview for you today, Noland and I took this as an opportunity to just be a little bit chatty. Keep listening to hear our takes on the current crypto bear market, cybersecurity with NFTs, federal policy on cryptocurrency, societal constructs, rediscovering the fun in life to become a better trader, and many more seemingly random streams of consciousness. We have some really exciting interviews coming up in the next few weeks, so make sure to stick around for that. But with that said, let's get into the episode. What's on your mind? What have you noticed about the space recently or in general? Or what do you say? Hmm. I guess I've been thinking about like bull and bear markets and this being kind of my first bear run and not really having experience in terms of how long they usually last. I think the one that happened, what was it, October of last year? Or did it start in October or was it before that? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't even around, around October to, to really have a say in that. I will say it's nice watching my numbers go up when the entire crypto market is in a bear market. Like so many Solana NFTs have been popping. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just, it feels like it's been a little dry for some reason. And granted, I've been so busy with Web3 Connect stuff and, and crypto Zach's course that I have not been super heavy into just like the minting realm um, and just kind of what new projects are popping up and how people are feeling about them and whatnot. But yeah. just scrolling through my Twitter feed, it just feels like a little like, what's the word I'm looking for? Not abandoned because like people are still around, but it just doesn't feel as like the general vibe of like hype and excitement. It's far died down. It just feels very like meh nowadays. I don't know if it's just me. Um, that's hard to say. I don't know. I like, I feel like a lot of CT crypto Twitter has been moving around because of OK Bears, like so much, so much noise. Did you see that one tweet thread about, I think it was OX Function that that had his funds stolen, like 2,600 soul worth. And he ended up supposedly tracking a, a like a super likely culprit of whoever did that and it's just it's so cool to watch that investigation kind of unfold like right in front of us this little detective it's pretty cool i saw something like about a soul gods incident like that where somebody like got their wallet wiped like three rare soul gods were taken from them and somehow they were able to track it down change the I guess the data behind like the royalties. And so when it was resold, mm-hmm. they just got all of that money back essentially, you know, minus the fees that Magic Eden takes. But no, I don't think I heard about the one you're talking about. How did he end up finding out who did it? He tracked. Um, so I think the guy's biggest mistake was wormhole. So, or um, excuse me, it was tornado cash. Do you know what that is? No. So on Ethereum, there's a site called tornado cash basically where, you can it's essentially you can launder money quote unquote but it doesn't work super well right so say i want to launder like 30 million dollars of ethereum whatever whatever that is maybe 3000 eth is that right 
I don't know, something like that, or maybe a thousand ETH. I'm not sure, whatever. Um, and maybe a hundred. I think it's. I don't know, whatever. And basically, you put it in this like tornado cash thing, and then it'll like give you like private keys where you can extract it from a brand new wallet that's totally disconnected from the wallet that put it in as long as like you have some private keys or something I, i'm not too familiar since i haven't used it um but apparently it took them like 58 minutes they only waited like 58 minutes and then they withdrew the exact same amount that they put in um and there is like a hundred thousand i think die it's i don't know if that's a u.s like stable coin um but there was like some little signature on that that i guess made it like really suspicious when they withdrew it so they were able to pretty much say with a good amount of certainty where the money went and just tracked it down through there and i think they narrowed it down to some guy that also did some like altcoin like rug pull scam or something like that i'm not sure um but it's just cool to watch that's pretty crazy i mean it's it's hard when it comes to like cybersecurity and just like the safety of your assets in um sorry i just noticed a big mosquito in my house hold on one second um what was i saying yeah it, it's hard when it comes to cybersecurity in a decentralized space and i know that there's so many conflicting views on this because what's the line between having measures of cybersecurity and and just taking extra precautions like you know preferring people dox themselves or whatever those precautions look like for you and then comparing that to the the anonymity and just like the foundational like core values of what it is to operate in a decentralized space like what should we be pushing for versus like what is too much right mm, what do you mean like you know how people i don't know if you well you probably heard the conflicting views around doxing right like a lot of people just straight up don't agree that that should even be a thing because that goes against quote unquote the core values of decentralization, like people should have their right to be anonymous. But then you have on the flip side, like a lot of people, especially new people coming into the space, getting burned because somebody is completely anonymous and they could literally just walk away with millions of dollars with no scratch on their back. And then you have people who might be kind of, you know, interested in like, what, what is this space about? But when they hear things like that, it's like, all right, screw that. Like, I'm not, why would I take that risk? if there is so much of it and like there's no way to uh, alleviate it i think i think there's a mix like it's kind of like a mixed bag answer because i don't know i i'm i'm personally really lucky i've never gotten rug pulled or anything but also at the same time i've been a bit more cautious about where i put my investments um and that's not to say i won't ape into anything that's certainly not the case either um and that's where it gets ugly too, is like, if you make a bunch of promises to, to potential investors and then you rug them, like that's a really big deal. FBI will catch you for that. And they have been catching people for that. I think that's been signaling to other rug pullers. Like, yeah, you don't want to mess with this because to some extent, however, they're going to be able to track it to your bank account. Like there's a good chance that you get caught and that's freaky. Is that true? Like I've always wondered like to what extent is the FBI and like the government involved in investigating cases like this oh super involved you know the uh balloonsville rugger yeah mm -hmm. yeah the fbi caught him i'm pretty sure no he's, way he's facing a lot of jail time yeah are you serious i'm pretty sure i'm i mean to the extent 
think I heard it on Frank's podcast, and I'm pretty sure we saw his doxed info on Twitter somewhere. I'm like 95% certain that, yeah, he got caught. Huh. I did not know that. I guess I just assumed that the government was like completely hands off, like, hey, if we're not regulating the space then it's not our problem type of thing but and also like on the on the other side of that coin it's like which government is really responsible like where's the jurisdiction this is a global space so there has to be some type of collaboration across countries to decide like how things like that should be handled or maybe it's where the person's located right and that's sort of where the jurisdiction would come in right or maybe where they're based. I, I really don't know. There's so many specific, like if you're from like Nigeria or South Africa or like Afghanistan or something like we, you don't know if those governments are going to cooperate, but we know at least to some extent that the U.S. government is trying to catch these rug pullers, which is a good thing. Really, really good thing. Because to the extent that the government is willing to prosecute these people, it makes other people more kind of cautious about even thinking about it, which is great. Well, that's the thing is... I'm not sure if we're ever going to start to see like mass, mass adoption of people just coming from web two to web three and getting into crypto, getting into NFTs until there is some type of, and I don't know if I want to call it regulation, but like some type of government um, interference, like involvement. And and I'm not speaking from my point of view, because I'm obviously here and there is really no regulation. So I don't have a problem with it because I take my own precautions to sort of protect myself. But a lot of people, from what I've seen on TikTok, at least the trolls in my comments, like a lot of people are just very, very against it because they feel like there's no protection for themselves as a consumer. That's fair. Um, and I think that <clears throat> the... You remember when like crypto went on a little bull run after the White House like leaked announcement that they're going to be kind of working with crypto and trying to create like favorable regulations so that the average person doesn't get screwed and like trying to trying to basically protect the average consumer while keeping money making opportunities open for anyone who uses it. I think that's a really good kind of step forward. I haven't been following how they're implementing it or even what they're doing on that level. But I mean, I do see the government somewhat getting involved if you see Ruggers getting obviously arrested and put on put on trial. And I don't know. I think it's a really good thing. I didn't really like look much into what they were talking about in terms of the policy they were thinking about pushing. But I guess I find it hard to believe that the government would be pushing policy that's in the favor of the general population using crypto and in the NFT space as much as like in their own favor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not yep. really sure how I feel about that. Cause like they might be saying that. Right. But then when it comes down to the line, like really they just want control and they want their slice of the pie. I think they do want control. And I think, I think that's why a lot of people are scared of like USDC because or like a digital currency, because to the extent that they make a USDC, I think people are scared of the fact that the government will have any amount of control about how people can spend their money and literally restrict people from, or I guess certain wallets from spending money in certain areas or whatever. And I don't know, like so much of that is still speculation, but I guess to your point and to these TikTokers, like comments of they don't feel secure investing, like that's super fair too. If you're not going to, and it's, I don't. I was gonna say like, if you're not gonna do the research, maybe you shouldn't be investing. But at the other side of that, like, people have been doing plenty of research, and there are these companies or groups that make tons of promises about something that seems legit, and then they just pull the rug from under you. I'm like, that sucks. And yeah, what do you do against that? It's it's hard to know. 
And it ties back to me to this idea of like reputation. And that's always going to be the biggest thing. And it's what the like the Atadia Credit Lab is trying to do is like build these trust and credit profiles for wallets, not people necessarily. And like tying the wallet to a Twitter account, for example, and like using the length that you've held your PFP or whatever as, as a proxy for the kind of trustworthiness and whether or not you've paid back your loans in the past as another measure of trustworthiness. Like there are ways to build trust that don't involve you doxing yourself. And I think that's a really good thing. That's a good point. And you bring up such a crucial aspect of the do your own research because I think a lot of people fall back on that as like, well, you got rugged, like do more research next time. And it's like, honestly, these scammers have gotten so evolved to the point where even seasoned people in this space who have done plenty of research are, like you just said, are getting rugged. And I think I hear people say a lot, money changes people. And I mean, I guess it's true to an extent because project founders might come into it with no malintent, no plan to screw everybody over. And then somehow when you have all that money sitting in your bank account, it it changes things. Like I can't personally understand that, but I mean, that must be happening because I find it hard to believe that everybody who's rugged up to this point had the like intention at the beginning to rug. Right. I think things change, like situations and circumstances definitely change after you get money. But I, I love Gary Vee's take about money, which is it's leverage. The more leverage you have, the more opportunities to have you have to like expose yourself and show who you are. Like money exposes you. It doesn't change you necessarily. It brings up the things that you've already been thinking about. And all of a sudden now you have the capabilities to execute on that, if that means rugging or doing more for your project and your holders, that's the direction you're going to follow. And of course you can be influenced, but again, it's like, it's up to the person and yeah, maybe it does change people, but I really don't think so. I think that if you don't have pure intentions, you are more susceptible to rugging people than not. And I think that as long as that's true within your core, within who you are, the money is just going to accelerate whatever direction you were planning on going or whatever direction you kind of had in your core in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, I really like that quote. Money exposes you. It doesn't change you. That is very interesting to think about. And it kind of ties into something that I've put thought into for like no real reason besides seeing movies about how like you can be oh my voice just cracked i heard that (laughs) (laughs) i'm still like getting over a cold slightly it's been weeks and i'm still not fully recovered yeah that's my immune system for you um but for example like i don't know if you've ever seen those movies where somebody is in a marriage right and they've married to this person for years and then somehow it turns out that this person is not who they said they were and they're either like some crazy serial killer or some con artist and like in reality even when you're face to face with somebody and you you think you have a strong relationship with them you really don't know what that person's like true intentions are like right. they could just be putting up an, a complete act so you take away the physicalities of it now you can't hear tone of voice you can't see body language facial expressions you can't get a general vibe from somebody by like standing next to them and feeling their energy like everything is through a computer anonymously it just makes it so much easier for people to come across like they have good intentions but then actually don't at the end of the day yeah, and I think you're completely right. Um, and I would I would push back with this though. Do you know Frank 
Yep. Mm-hmm. You know General Soul. <laughs> Obviously. Do you think either of them are going to rug, realistically speaking? No, absolutely not. Why? But you don't know them. There are very few people who I have like that much conviction and trust in based off of their on- like behavior to this point online. Okay, but let me ask you, why do you have any amount of conviction or trust in them? Because they're just digital presences. You don't have their body language. You don't have that info that you were talking about. Why do you trust them? That's a good question. I'm, I feel like, hmm, let's dissect this. So <laughs> that's hard because that's like, it, it ties back to human psychology. Like you kind of just have like an intuition sometimes about people, mm-hmm. even if it's through a digital screen, like you can kind of just, when you're thinking about their opinions on things and how they frame things, whether that's in a tweet or verbally on voice chat, their track record to this point, like how much have they delivered and how much have they kept to their word and how much value have they provided up to this point? Like, well, if, you know, they're for the entire duration of their time in the space, they've just consistently done those things, then it's a lot less likely significantly less likely that that pattern will change and that they'll all of a sudden decide to flip everything on its head and rug everybody right but when you look at projects though like you don't know the team's track record most of the time like Mm -hmm. there's very few times Mm -hmm. that uh, a team who launched a different successful project comes and does another one and then you could actually look and be like oh well they're legit they've launched this project and have been around for x amount of time but usually like you don't know anything about the team Right. And you were talking about psychology, I think. And anytime I have any kind of questions about why things are the way they are in terms of like, why do I have trust? Why do I have skepticism? Why am I narcissistic or trusting or whatever? I always go back to to evolution. And I think it's an evolutionary advantage to be able to trust people and to be able to build reputations with people. That's why it takes so long to rebuild trust after it's broken. Because trust is so valuable. It's reputation is so like delicate. Reputation, I think, is a reflection of your intention. So and and I think of like I literally think of Gary Vee. I don't think he's ever gonna rug ever. And the biggest reason for that is because I see his intentions. I see he wants to do good for the world and I see he's done good and I see it gives him joy. And to that same extent, I see Frank does good for the world and for the space and he he provides value to his holders same with general soul like he cares about his people and to the extent that i can judge their intentions i think i can get a gauge of like do i want exposure to these people same with Soulport tom i mean i don't know too much about him i just got an incubator a couple of days ago um but i mean i love what i see i love what he's building and yeah it's it's exactly that like I trust him because i see their intention and your point was really really strong which was if I don't know the founders, do I really have a reason to trust them? And the answer is no, right? Like, I don't know who General Soul is IRL or Frank, but I trust them. And it's because their intentions have lined up with the kind of value that they wanted to add. And I think that's part of why it's so important to educate yourself on who the founders are of a project. Because if you don't know who they are, if you don't know their intentions, if you don't know their capabilities as an operator or a communicator or all of these different things, you really don't have as much information to go off of. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of comes down to 
actions speaking louder than words because when a new project pops up and they're minting in a month or two and you don't know the founders, they're completely, maybe maybe they are docs, maybe they're not. All you have to base their trustworthiness and reliability on is what they've claimed that they were going to deliver. And that in itself, really, you shouldn't you shouldn't trust that at all. Like you could yeah. like take measures to try to figure out what their intentions are, but they're, you're really taking a risk no matter what. Like Absolutely. there's always a risk to be taken. And I guess you have to figure out what your level of risk aversion is and risk acceptance is to determine if the space is even for you and like what calls you should be making depending on that. Yeah. And that's why I don't think the space is for everyone. And I think a lot of the hate comments that you get on TikTok, like they're not meant to be investors if they're not willing to put in the time to educate themselves on founders, on projects, on the market, on all these different things. Like a lot of people that are investing in NFTs probably should not be investing in NFTs, whether, I mean, Ah, that's, I, I don't even know if I like saying that. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but I I do think it's not for everybody. And I think that there is a lot of people that avoid it because they know it's not for them. And oh, well, like that's, that's the way it goes. But I mean, to the people that are willing to take that risk and learn and educate themselves about these different people, that's going to do way more good in terms of kind of helping them position themselves well in the space i think it's always a trust and reputation game more than anything else yeah 100 percent. something you said earlier reminded me of this tiktok i saw you know how sometimes like people will go out on the street and just ask random people questions and just get their takes on things and record it it was like one of those situations where some guy was going around with a microphone asking people do you think Bitcoin is a scam? I saw that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw that? <laughs> I did. I saw one of his videos. Yeah. Well, there, there's probably so many different ones too. Cause like mm. there were, there was one where there was these like two drunk girls who just sounded absolutely idiotic with their response. Cause they, I won't even go into that. But the one I'm thinking of is this one girl was like, yeah. And the reason being is because like the whole premise of decentralization has, sort of dissolved when you think about entities, centralized entities like Coinbase, Crypto.com, that are sort of acting as banks in a sense, which is completely against all of the values of decentralization. Um, And then you also have a dollar equivalent for these coins. So whoever created this way back in the day to begin with like, you know, crypto and NFTs and just blockchain technology. Like it seems like where we've evolved to up to this point is contradicting the initial intent. And I don't know if I agree with that, but it was a very interesting take. I think I saw that video. She was on a beach, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, I don't know. It like it's complicated too because yeah, like these centralized exchanges more or less do act like a bank, but also you notice how they all have KYC because to some extent they're talking to the government because to some extent there has to be some kind of security regulation involved. And I think it would be bad if I could just create an anonymous wallet and start buying Bitcoin and using it without any kind of KYC because then the government has no way of knowing when I take my money out into my bank account where the money came from. Well, mm, that's not true either because you can track literally everything on chain. I don't know. It gets it gets weird. I don't know. It, it is a complicated discussion. I think 
to say that it goes against the premise of Bitcoin isn't necessarily true. And the main reason I say that is like Bitcoin just is, it just exists, right? Like it exists for exactly what it does, which is a peer to peer way of transferring wealth between people or I mean, from an entity to people. And just because Coinbase or FTX happens to have a lot of it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole thing is corrupt. It just means that they have a lot of it, right? Like if Elon Musk has, say you hate Elon, well, um, it's not the best example, but like just because some stakeholder that you like invests in, I don't know, Microsoft doesn't necessarily mean that Microsoft is a bad thing either. But I I guess that's a different argument because it's not against the premise of Microsoft. It's a publicly traded thing. I don't know. It's, it, it is a really like kind of wishy-washy discussion there is no good way to disprove it and uh, yeah it is it's a complicated discussion but at the end of the day i can transfer a hundred thousand dollars to my friend on just in solana and the government has no way of stopping me from sending a hundred thousand dollars worth of solana to to my friend and i think that's a really cool thing no i agree i mean there are pros and cons to anything, especially something like this with such as kind of a new technology and so many diverging views on whether it's good or bad and what it should be used for and how regulated it should be. I think what I've noticed is one of the biggest sort of, I don't even like to call it an argument because it really has no premise, but one of the biggest concerns or like rebuttals people will express in my TikTok comments is that it's just fake money that they kind of like refer to it as like monopoly money which i think is so funny because you can't transfer monopoly money to fiat and like (laughs) actually use it for like i don't i think a lot of people who don't know like really anything about crypto outside of the fact that it exists think that it has no actual value that it can't actually be transferred back to us dollars and actually used to purchase things that are not on the internet it's so funny how people come up with these kind of like narratives and like outlandish claims that come from nowhere but somehow like they say it as fact and then it turns into like it snowballs into this rumor and now everybody thinks that it's all just fake monopoly money and it's all a ponzi scheme like it's pretty crazy to see that side of the the psychology of it, of people who don't know what they're talking about at all, have not done any research, making a claim as if it's fact, and then people believing it. Like, it's it's really crazy to see. Well, it's to the extent that other people agree with their claim. But on the flip side of that token, just because I don't care about baseball and I don't care about baseball cards doesn't mean that it's fake, doesn't mean that it has no value. If if I have a legendary baseball card that's worth, I don't know, three grand, just because Joe Schmo on the street says baseball cards are fake, it's all fake money, no one cares, like it's it's fake value, it doesn't really matter, doesn't mean that there isn't a market for it. Just because you don't see the market for it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. It just means that you don't care. You're not a participant. That's fine. I don't care. But if someone's willing to pay what is it? 88 bucks for my Solana, $86.12 is the time of me saying this right now. Just because someone else doesn't think it's worth that much and that it's play money doesn't mean that I can't exchange it for fiat because the Solana network is doing something interesting. People are willing to pay money for access to the network. 
I, I think that's a really cool thing. But the first thing I thought of when you said that was low key, it does feel like internet play money when I'm <laughs> when I'm buying and selling these these NFTs. Like if it, it does feel like monopoly money. But at the end of the day, I can exchange it for fiat, and that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. It's like five soul doesn't actually feel like five hundred dollars like it just feels very much like it kind of is like a similar concept to when i have cash in my wallet which is very rarely it doesn't feel like actual money to me for some reason because it's not the number in my bank account isn't going down like i feel like i can just like blow blow it on anything and it doesn't really matter but you bring up an interesting point though and i was just talking to somebody about this the other day bitcoin and solana like cryptocurrency has value because us as a society, humans, are assigning it value. And it's the same exact concept with fiat, with let's say US dollars, for example. We as a society have decided that US dollars is of value. And it wouldn't have value if we all decided to say, well, US dollars isn't worth anything and remove its value. Like it's a universal societal decision to assign value to something. And that just comes down to societal constructs and like what is reality versus not actually, this is a really good um, quote that I heard the other day. It was like, what was it? It was reality is even when you stop believing in something, it still exists. That just like hit me different because I was like, holy, like that is such a good point. And when you think about the concept of money, like let's crypto aside, the value of money and the fact that US dollars, let's say, and the fact that we can use it to buy things and get what we want in the world, if everybody just stopped believing in it, it wouldn't exist anymore. So is that even real? Like that kind of like negates any argument of crypto being fake money, like value is being assigned to things because we decide it to be. This conversation gets philosophical like really quickly <laughs> because <laughs> right because like I don't know U.S. dollars it, it is valuable because we all agree to it but uh, I don't know market value of a dollar is forever going to zero and I think that's the fundamental premise that people believe in Bitcoin for right but ah uh, I had a point there and I forget exactly what I was trying to say but it's it. It is a it is a very strange topic, and I am way too how do I put it uneducated to speak reasonably about that because like what like where does money get its value from, and then where does does Bitcoin get its value from the same thing? Like I don't know, but I just know Bitcoin is going to be limited. The U.S. dollar is not. People agree that Bitcoin. I don't. It, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a controversial subject because I guess I'm even taking it a step further than like how does us dollars get its value how does bitcoin get its value like even that like how those things get their value was created by humans and decided by humans so we still gave something value that had no value before that but anyways like you just said that gets super like lofty and like philosophical uh, it's a lot of like subjectiveness in that in that statement mm -hmm. i'm sure a lot of people would disagree but it's just something that somehow I'm on the psychology side of TikTok and I just like hear these things and I'm like, mind blown. Like I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> Wait, so hear, hear what kind of things? Just like, like that, like the, there was an entire TikTok about societal contracts. I'll send it to you. Um, she, she explains it much better than I, but 
she was talking about societal constructs and that quote that I just explained of like reality is if you stop believing in it, it would still exist. So like, for example, I'm trying to think of some of the other examples she provided, like when you, okay, let's say, you know, you eat eggs for breakfast because society tells you that that's a breakfast food, but really it's literally just any other type of food. Mm -hmm. And for some reason we decided that it should be more so eaten in the morning, not to say that people don't eat it other times of the day, but it's just more normal to have it for breakfast in the morning. Or another example is, you know, you wake up at 630 in the morning to go to work, not because your, your body's done sleeping, but because society tells you that you need to get up and go to work or, you know, you drive between the lines on the road, not because you're forced and like you can't drive on the sidewalk. It's because society and the law, which is society, tells you that you need to be driving between the lines and parking between the lines Mm -hmm. when you're in a parking lot. Like a huge majority of things that we as humans accept as fact, as reality, are just things that we literally made up. Like who made this stuff up? Like who decided that that's the way it should be? And why is everybody agreeing with them? (laughs) But does it really matter? Because at the same time, driving would be way more dangerous if we didn't have rules, right? So we, to some extent, society places value on cars, on lines, on following the rules, on law enforcement because of those things, because it gives us utility and makes our lives easier in one way or another. And I think that's where, to some extent, that's where prices derive from is the value that people get from it. Yeah, I see that. I think those were just really exaggerated examples that she was giving just to kind of like let people relate to it a bit and understand what she was trying to come across with. But I'm trying to think of like less exaggerated examples, like, like, for example, gender roles, right? Like, that is a is a heavy topic. I know a lot of people, it's very controversial in some sense, but girl babies should wear pink and, and boys should wear blue. Like who who decided that, right? Like it's mm. things like that where it's not really providing any sort of value or utility to our lives, but anymore. Anymore. I guess what do you mean by that? Like I think hmm. <laughs> this is this is ugly to say. Um but I I think that having gender roles for a good part of our evolutionary history is a really, really good thing, and I think it pushed our survival a lot more forward. Because it assigned roles, it assigned these like mental heuristics or like societal heuristics about how to behave that would push the narrative forward, that would push things forward, right? Because if women are physically less strong than men, if men are more physically capable and they go hunting and they are less likely to die because they are more physically capable, is it in society's interest? Is it in like a little village's interest that the men are hunting or that the women that have to bear children are hunting? It's an interesting point you bring that up because I haven't actually done any research on this, but I have heard people say that women in the cavemen times were actually the one to provide most of the food for the family because the berries and um, vegetables and things that they were able to forage for made up like 80 or 85% of what the family actually ate versus the men bringing back like 10% of the food. Anyways, that's like getting to technicalities, but I see what you're saying. That's interesting. And I could be wrong too, but I, I mean, I always think back to the evolutionary history and to the extent that it creates rules that gives us an advantage, it's good for the time. And as soon as that stops being relevant, luckily we have the ability to communicate with each other and to think and to and to decide 
are those gender roles still needed or can we push through those, right? Yeah, no, I definitely see where you're coming from. And I, I have this conversation around veganism as well, because at one point, right, well, to take a step back, you know, as evolved as we are as a human race, there are so many traditional societal constructs that just, like you just said, don't need to exist anymore. But for some reason, we blindly accept them as like fact, as our reality now, even when they're no longer relevant. Because once something exists and once something's ingrained in us as humans, like we like pattern, we like habits, it's hard to change that, especially when millions or billions of people have decided that that is so, and that is how it should be. And I have that conversation around veganism as well, because people are like, well, back in the day, like there was no choice, right? We had to eat animals that we hunted for and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, but now your food is grown and like harvested in a factory and it's packaged up really nicely for you. And you go to the store and you pick up a package and you don't have to do any hunting and you also have all these other options that don't require animal cruelty so why are we still you know why do we all still agree that that should be a thing people get really offended when i start talking about that type of stuff but it's it's a similar concept <laughs> i i agree i think I, i've actually i was on a walk today um and i think that for at least for me veganism might be the way to go and i don't know i think everything's connected and it's that's my own personal thing but as tech changes, as needs for things change, like the way that we do things should change, um, but it doesn't always happen that way. There's always people that are stuck in the past or stuck in their ways or whatever. There's 30 million reasons to, to not be vegan as well. And that the biggest one being I'd like meat, <laughs> <laughs> right? And like, what are you really going to do about that? Well, there are a lot of alternatives that taste really similar, but I won't get into that. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think to to relate this back to NFTs, because listeners are probably like, what the f are they talking about right now? Um, to relate this back to NFTs, you just brought up an amazing point, which is a lot of people are stuck in the past and stuck in their ways. And when you think about in the 90s, right, the dot-com era, when the internet first came out, people were legitimately saying that it was a fad, that it was a phase and that it was going to pass and that it wasn't going to catch on and that there was no real value to the internet. And look where we are now. So I think we're going through that same cycle where we have this brand new blockchain technology and everything that comes with it, but people are scared of it because they don't understand it and they think it's a fad, they think it's a phase, but luckily we have our shot now, right? Because in the nineties, I was just a little baby and I had no clue what the internet was. So now that I am a adult seeing this pattern happen again, seeing history repeat itself with NFTs and crypto and blockchain technology, there is no way I'm being left behind this time. And that was the end of that conversation. But then we linked up again just yesterday and here's what we got into tend to avoid the gym at all costs <laughs> it's funny i'm the same exact way and i heard this podcast do you know andrew huberman um that name sounds familiar but i'm not sure he might be my favorite podcast host of all time oh i did send him to you a while ago i think oh, um, yes yes mm -hmm. but yeah he does the neurobiology stuff um and he had someone on who was talking about like how exercise literally makes you smarter it's it's the craziest thing Hmm. 
when you get good exercise, you produce like this hormone in your brain that makes new nerve cells. I think like in your hippocampus, which is like your memory area. Um, so that plus meditation is like top exercise plus meditation and then good sleep is like top to for like mental health performance, I guess. Wow. I've never heard that it makes you smarter. So that's really hundred percent. I'll send you a link. I'm sure there's plenty of studies done on it. I've gone through phases in my life where like right after college, I didn't start work for like six months after I graduated. Oh, wow. So I just had like all this time. And did you have your job lined up on graduation? Yes. Um, I did oh, have wow. a job okay. lined up to start in like November and I graduated in May. I don't know if that's six months. And I was just like working out like five days a week Jeez. consistently. I was probably in like the best shape of my life. I'd lost like 20 pounds after college. Yeah, the college 15 for the, all four years, yeah. man, it's bad. <laughs> Didn't you just graduate? I just graduated, yeah, like two weeks ago now, or a week and a half. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you, thank you. Did you guys have an in-person graduation? Uh, we did. Okay. Yeah, everything was normal. No masks, except for people that decided to wear them. So you're probably sick of people asking this question, but what are you, like, what's your plan? Like, what do you have in mind? Um, Web3, full-time work here, somewhere. So, like, there's one... One dude I reached out to, he has some, like, PhD in economics, and he's trying to, like, what's he trying to do? Some kind of, like, surveys, like, big-scale, like, surveys for, um, like, among NFT traders to just kind of see who your target demographic is and just, I guess, like, customer insights on that end. Um, but he said, quote-unquote, looking to hire two analysts to assess market data and make trades, and it would be a full-time job. I don't know. This meta is kind of weird. I, I don't know if you've been following um, like Solana closely or at least like NFTs, but we're kind of, it feels like we're kind of phasing out of like the BS, like branding meta. And we're moving into like a builder's meta where the projects that are actively trying to create some kind of utility for people to work off of are doing quite well. Like the Atadia lending platform, um, Vault X, which is doing their like escrow service and shit. So to that extent, I think, and I'm also on like the, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned I'm on the, like the accelerator, like the soul army consulting. Like you're doing consulting for them. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Soul army accelerator. Um, so not much has happened yet, but really just trying to get exposure, continue to get exposure, see if I can pay myself through trading and then work my way to a full-time job. Like if I can work for like an investment firm, and just do some kind of crypto research for them and at least have like remote work, stable nine to five doing this. That's preferable more over anything else. Actually, to be honest, trading and just living abroad is preferable to anything else. But I'd rather do something with my time. Yeah, I don't know if you've been keeping up with like the job listings, but Magic Eden has been pretty actively hiring for different roles. And then and we actually have a connection to one of their like newest recruiters. So I could definitely connect you with with them. What's his name? I think I have reached out and I sent an app and they didn't. They they denied it. Um, Toast is the one who's been coordinating with him, so I would have to ask him what his name is. But um, I can ask and get back to you. Oh, are they looking for somebody with like more real life experience or something? Yeah, yeah. They they're looking it, the way they're describing their job listings. They're looking. To, it seems like they're trying to poach like Web two talent and make Magic Eden like the leading marketplace, which is really really competitive. So they're probably looking for like S tier talent who's already proved themselves consistently. True. I was also going to recommend 
Exodus, but I think they have pretty strict requirements too. They do actually applied there as well (laughs) and they denied it. It's so tough, like coming out of college because it's like somebody has to give you a shot, (laughs) right? Right, right. Like what? How are you going to get experience if everybody is like, no, we're looking for somebody with experience. Like I honestly, I honestly do feel like sometimes you're better off depending on the position hiring somebody brand new out of college because they have a fresh brain you can mold them however the you want right exactly somebody who's who's been in the industry you know let's say branding industry for two three years already has sort of the way that they do things the way that they've learned to do things from their previous jobs Mm -hmm. and sometimes it can be frustrating when you walk into a new job and they ask you to do it completely differently. So there's kind of some resistance there. Whereas like somebody fresh out of college, I feel like has less, they're less risk averse. They're more um, kind of innovative. Free thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the sense that mm-hmm. they will just try anything. Cause you're not shackled down by past experience, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I would say don't give up. I would say keep submitting <laughs> your application. I will. No, you bet your ass I will. I'm not, I'm not trying to do some traditional web two job in person that's for sure yeah it's just the the current market dude i'm like when is this bear market gonna end <laughs> yeah so it's weird actually um, <laughs> i i noticed that when everyone is bearish like i feel like that means there's a pump around the corner somewhere i can't put my finger on why I can't, and I'm not going to say that crypto is going to have a run-up anytime soon because we should see more downward movement. But at the same time, I think this market has the most upside of almost any market in existence right now. Pairing that with, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't see crypto too closely correlated to the stock market. I, like, I understand risk on and risk off, but I also understand that when human innovation is like really outpacing itself, you generally still want exposure to those things. And that's what I see crypto as. That's true. I mean, the OGs, or not even the OGs, but like the loyal ones are still here, right? Like we're still here, we're still building, and we still see a bright future, even though sometimes it's hard to see that when it's been like, how many months now at this point that it's just been consistently going down? Like uh, one, maybe one and a half. It was around when Terra crashed. It feels like it's been longer than that. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't know why. Because I remember Soul hit 140 or 130 in like, um, mm, it's either March or April. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was just straight down. What is it at right now? I feel like the last time I checked, it was around like 42 or something. 44. Well, I try not to uh, spend too much time thinking about <laughs> the current state of the market. Because honestly, if you're here for the long run. It doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. 100%. Future Aurora here editing this clip. I have removed a small segment to avoid name dropping, but all of the points are still very valid. So back to the clip. Easy to to kind of appreciate the privilege when you're already networked and when you already have a bag. But if you don't know really what to do, you kind of just grind whitelist for the most promising project and you hope for a flip and you hope it does well on secondary. Yeah, I get that. I mean... I think about it from the perspective of like, and this is a little bit of an exaggerated example, when you think about celebrities or, you know, people who were born into money, born into privilege, it's easy to lose sight of where, <laughs> where you sort of came from and, and where everybody's coming from. So 
Yeah, yeah. It's like once you become really good at something, you lose that kind of beginner mind, which is interesting. I I remember hearing this um thing about like the math Olympiad and how it's these math experts that are devising these problems that they think are pretty easy. And they have no clue how difficult it really is for some of the best math students in the world. And it's just that it's that disconnect between doing something for so long that it's second nature that you can't miss what's obvious versus stuff that's less obvious to people that are still kind of learning the the topic overall. It's human nature. You start taking for granted what, what you know once you've done it for long enough. But yeah, I don't want to call it a superpower of mine, but a skill that I found is really useful consistently is like just being empathetic to your consumer or to kind of whoever your customer is, your target audience, like a hundred percent empathetic, like not even judging, but seeing exactly where they're coming from and why they kind of have the angle that they do on a certain thing helps you kind of resonate with them a little bit more once you see where they're coming from. Like I think Gary Vee is really, really good at kind of stepping into the mind of his customer and kind of like experiencing a website for the first time or like trying some product for the first time. Like once you're in it long enough, it's hard to realize what beginners see your product as. So to be able to connect with that fresh mind is so powerful. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even as a teacher, right? Like having mm-hmm. being able to like tap into that fresh beginner's mind is so important so that you can explain things in such a way that will make sense from for somebody who might be just starting out and you can like preemptively answer any questions they might have because you're you know you're sort of putting yourself in their shoes yeah exactly and it just yeah (laughs) it's hard to connect with the beginner mind after so long and it's funny actually i've been trying to like kind of get back in touch with my inner child and and in both a healing way, but also like an intellectual way where I'm just curious about the world and curious about everything instead of kind of bogged down by past experience and kind of the, the emotional or like mental frameworks that you have around a certain thing to be able to dissolve that and to just ask why, no matter what it's been so, so powerful for me recently. Mm, I like that. I actually really like that because that, sort of, I feel like would prevent you from becoming complacent and from becoming sort of comfortable in your own mentality and like whatever you might be doing. Because when you ask why, somebody's answer could be completely different than what you expect it to be. And that sort of gives you perspective into things that you may not ever have gotten perspective into because you just didn't bother to ask. Right. Well, and that's that's the other thing I'm coming to terms with right now and I'm still learning about is like, you really do get what you ask for. You get exactly what you ask for, whether you're like asking yourself for something um, in terms of what you think about when you wake up or before you go to bed or like when you ask other people about something, like whatever question you ask is immediately where your mind goes. You have this, it's called the reticular activating system um, in your brain. And basically it's like, it's, it's what your subconscious uses to filter out the irrelevant information that your conscious brain is taking in and to kind of observe your reality in line with that lens. So for example, say you bought like a Hummer or a Jeep and it was yellow. And all of a sudden you start seeing these yellow Jeeps on the road or Hummer, whatever, like yellow Jeeps, right? Like as soon as you have a reason to, for that to be a point of focus, all of a sudden you see it everywhere, right? And like, that's your, it's, it's the coolest thing. It's your reticular activating system deciding, like changing what it decides is important and what it filters through when you're looking at this, these billions of bytes of information every day. 
No, I've definitely heard of that concept. I didn't realize there was like a scientific name for it, but I've totally experienced that. I'm sure everybody who's listening has. Like in the most like simple example would be, this used to happen to me a lot. If I like learned a new word, like a new vocabulary word that's not typically in my vocabulary, then all of a sudden people start saying it. And it's like, it's not like more people are saying it now than previously. It's just that your brain is now noticing it. Very interesting. That honestly kind of aligns with the whole concept of manifestation, <laughs> which I laugh when I say that because it's very hippy dippy. And mm-hmm. some people are like, yeah, no, like there's no way that that's actually real. Um, but but it's true to the extent you believe it. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, I agree with you. No, yeah, for absolutely. And I definitely struggle with keeping my mind in sort of that positive mindset and, you know, pointing out and realizing the good things around me. Like I tend to be, I I call it like realism, but really it's, it's pessimism in a way. And I've gotten better at this, but if you're pessimistic, everything is always going to go wrong. Correct. Nothing is going to go right for you. Like every single thing that happens in your life is going to be working against you because that is all you're training your brain to take in. But if you're always positive, you're always, you know, finding the the bright side of every situation, then you'll find that consistently things will just start to go your way all the time. Yeah. And I'm still working on that myself. It's really hard, especially when you've known only a certain type of lens to see things for such a long time. It's yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know. It's a work in progress. It's literally a muscle like anything else. Yeah. And I wonder... I wonder what the power of that is. Like it, once you truly master that sort of skill, like, Oh my God, it has to be immense. Right. Cause like literally you can do anything once you decide what you focus on and you, you have to decide that it's valuable and it has to actually be valuable. So a couple examples that I've used, at least like trading NFTs is kind of identifying when the meta switches and like where the liquidity is moving throughout the entire market, or at least the Magic Eden, Solana, NFT market, this little corner of the world. Like when you decide that you want to see something through a certain lens, you'll start seeing evidence that suggests underlying truths about whatever question you're asking. So if you're asking, is ETH money interested in X, Y, or Z, you'll start looking for evidence of that. You might see more volume in a, like OK Bears, for example, and you're like, oh, that's ETH money. Where's the ETH money going to trickle down to? Where's the profits from these people that are selling their OK Bears for 10 grand, 6 grand, 8 grand? Where are those profits trickling down to as well? And once you decide that like that's a valuable lens to think through, as well as like what the meta is and it's, it's easier to see evidence that, that points to whatever that truth is of the question or the thing that you're focusing on, and then you can make m- even more educated decisions on it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side, if you're somebody who's so laser focused on your losses and the fact that the market is down and the mm-hmm. fact that you didn't sell when you should have or you paper handed, then you're just kind of kind of be stuck in that cycle of thinking. <laughs> It's funny. I didn't even notice that I've been doing that for the past like month and a half until you mentioned it. That's like, I've been doing that more than I realize. And it's very sneaky because like, it's, it's not unreasonable to reminisce on the past and like why you didn't make the best choice that it was. But then it's also really easy to just get glued to that. 
and then that's what you see. You only see the losses and then you're losing. You kind of have to be, it honestly sort of ties back to this other thing that I've been trying to enact more cognizantly in my life, which is like mindfulness and being present and not so much getting caught up in, like you were just saying, the past or potentially what you think is going to happen in the future, but more so just what are you experiencing right now? It just gives you so much more of a clear mind to make decisions and actually like see the joy in things. It's a very fine line though. And I say that because like your brain is like a prediction machine. That's it's what it's trying to do 24-7. What's next? Like using past behavior or past events to predict what's going to happen in the future. Like it's not unreasonable to think backwards and think forwards, right? We're designed to do that. From that podcast that I mentioned earlier, that Andrew Huberman podcast, he mentioned something that really, really resonated with me, which was you are designed to look at the past and look at the future to make predictions and to kind of guide your decision making for the present moment. And of course, you should be grounded in the present. The problem is when you're depressed or when your emotional state of mind is a bit weaker, I'm sure there's a million reasons. I'm no doctor. I'm not trying to diagnose or say exactly what happens, but I noticed this for myself is I'll think about the past, but it won't be in a focused or productive manner. It'll be in a reminiscent negative emotion manner. And I'll be predicting the future in a similar way, like kind of not without focus. It's very passive and it's very emotionally driven and it's kind of messy as opposed to thinking back to a past event, why that happened, like deconstructing it, thinking through it and kind of understanding it, packaging it up and then moving on. Like your gut has another intuition piece lesson that it can work through. But when your mind chooses to fixate on it in an unhealthy way, I guess that's what the meditation is good for. The meditation is good for keeping your focus. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here is it's not only for living in the present, it's for intention. Intention about looking at the past and predicting the future. Damn, that was that was wise. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally resonate with that because I think that's definitely where I struggle is that I'm fixating on mindfulness and trying to remind myself to be in the present because when I think about the past or the future, it's not healthy. <laughs> um, I'm definitely in that mindset where it gets messy and it's not productive. It's not with intention. It kind of just sort of, um, I go down this rabbit hole of like, what ifs and things that I can't control. And then it just turns into just like, like, wow, what am I doing? So it's not useful. It doesn't serve you. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess if you are that type of person, then mastering the art of mindfulness and being in the present first is probably important. And then once you've kind of been able to do that, start with intention, slowly reintroducing that concept to your life um, so that you can just have a bit more intention and control over it. Right. And it's, it's like when you come from a place of intention and control, you become a better trader. It's so funny. But when you're emotionally driven and you're not seeing reality for what it is, like you're just going to keep skewing your vision of the world. And consequently, you're going to make worse trades because you're not going to see things for how they are. You'll see them for your lens. Yeah. I've seen a few people on Twitter. Um, I want to say maybe it was Spoonicus tweeted this a lot of like, once trading becomes like not fun for you, then it's maybe time to take a break. 
You should not be constantly stressing, constantly checking floor price, constantly, you know, checking Solana's value. Like that's just going to like drive you crazy. Like there should be some level of enjoyment in it. Obviously, like there's some level of pressure as well because there's money on the line and not saying that, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to sort of feel, you know, what that pressure creates for you. But, you know, you're doing this for fun to some extent because you enjoy it. You enjoy being in the space. You enjoy trading. And if you sort of lose sight of that, then again, you kind of go back into that cycle. And it's funny when you mentioned the fun, it, it like, it sounds so cliche. And I hate when people used to tell me like, just go have fun when I'm playing tennis and I was all nervous. And what if I lose and all these million different outcomes that were bad. And it's like, but weirdly enough, having fun is the best way to go about it. And framework i've been using recently is like tying that back to your inner child and why is it a good thing when you're having fun so much easier to just flow and to do it without really thinking about it but when it's pressured and tense and like you're not really in your element then you can't flow you can't like synthesize everything you're seeing to make the best choice or the like the best set of decisions when you're faced with like a pretty complex task you kind of just I don't know, at least for me, I tense up and think through the little things and then I do even worse as opposed to just trust in the gut. Well, I partially feel like that's sort of human nature in a sense of like, you might start out doing something for fun, but like our brains like to make structure and like processes out of things. So we almost like unintentionally turn things into like a chore, um, when really maybe it was just a hobby to begin with, or maybe that's just me. Cause I find that like when I take on a new hobby, right, somehow I always find a way to turn it into work. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just like a human thing or if that's just a me thing. I, I do it too. <laughs> it's probably a human thing. Yeah. It might just be a human thing of like, sometimes you have to take a second and do something just because you enjoy doing it. But then my brain automatically, like after a couple of weeks, starts thinking about, well, how can I monetize this? How can I live off of this? How can I become financially independent off of this? Like, what are other people doing in this realm? Like, it's just, you kind of go in this snowball effect of questions and curiosity, which then turns what was once a hobby and what was once really fun into something that feels more like work or a chore. And the question now is like, in my, in at least what I see is like, how do you reconnect with the fun? so that it's not a chore or a job. And I guess part of that de- like stems from your position too. When you're overinvested, you're definitely not having fun. Yeah, that's a good question because I don't I do not know the answer. I'm searching for the answer myself and I'm sure a lot of people in this space are searching <laughs> for that answer. But at least in this space, what you just said is probably the answer to that because if you're using money to invest that you might need to do something in your life like pay rent or buy a house or it might be, then you're not having fun because you're stressed out that you're going to lose that money. So really just making sure you stick to that golden rule, right? Of like only using money you're willing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Even then though, I couldn't predict what percentage of people in the space are, you know, actually sticking to that rule and only using money they're willing to lose. But I'd venture to believe it's a pretty large percent of people who are kind of sticking to that mentality. But even then it still tends to become competitive and and maybe that's what it is. It's the human nature of competitiveness and things always wanting to be the best or better than the person next to you. Like even if it's not conscious, it's very much like a subconscious human factor. So when you, when you're in such a fast paced market and there is money involved, like 
that probably takes the fun out of it as well. All right, guys, that is all we have for you today. Make sure to check out Web3ConnectX on Twitter. Our personal socials will be in the show notes. And if there's anyone in particular you want to hear on a future episode, shoot us a DM and we'll try our best to get them on for you. With that said, we'll see you guys next week.